Okay, recent, recently I heard of uh, two young boys that were just the kind of kids that were out of control. You know, if there was something going on at school, they were in the center of it. If somebody was taking something that didn't belong to somebody else, it was them. If they were teasing the neighbors, it was them. I mean, these boys were out of control. And their parents did everything that they could to try to teach them the, the, the difference between right and wrong. And nothing seemed to be working. So finally they decided they could have the pastor of their church come over and sit down with the boys and have a chance to talk to them to try to teach them the difference between right and wrong. So the pastor comes over and the two boys, he takes them into another room and they sit down together. And the pastor, he was, he was a wise man and he wanted them to come to their own conclusions. And he thought that if they understood that God was everywhere and he saw everything that they did and when they were doing what they were doing was wrong, that they'd appreciate the fact that God saw it and understood what was going on. And somehow or another, this truth would, would, it would sink into their heads to the point that they knew they weren't getting away with it. Even if no one else saw, God saw and so he thought he'd ask him a series of questions. So he sat him down and said, young men, where is God? And they sat there looking up at him and they didn't quite know what to say. And so the pastor thought he'd get a little more firm about it. And he goes, now surely you understand the answer to a simple question like that. Where is God? And they didn't say a word. And finally, the, the pastor started to get a little exasperated by all of this. And he raised his voice and one last time he said, boys, where is God? And at that, the older one reached over, grabbed his younger, one's arm, his younger brother's arm, whispered in his ear, and he said, Hey, let's get out of here. God's missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> you know, and if you stop and think about that, what a great question. Where is God? You know, as we've been going through this series, we've come to a point where we understand that God exists. We understand that He communicates to us through the Bible. He communicated to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We understand that He's eternal, that He was outside the realm of time. He created time, therefore He existed before time. We understand that you know God is one, yet also somehow He's three persons, yet one God. And as we go through all these things and we begin to identify who God is and we begin to understand Him better, the next logical question is, well, you know what? If God exists, then where is He? That's a great question. And what the pastor was trying to get across to these two little boys was that the Bible teaches that God is everywhere at the same time. Now, I don't know about you, but just the thought of that gives me a headache. I mean, it's kind of like our study of what does it mean that God is eternal? You know, you, you, you start to try to concentrate on that, and it's just, it's so mind-boggling. Sometimes you just, you know, got to take a couple of aspirins in the process. But where is God? The Bible teaches that God is everywhere at one time. Well, the big theological term is that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere at once. And I don't know about you, but that causes a problem for me. Now, how many of you have what you would consider a busy schedule. Well, how many of you have children? Those hands should still be up, right? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you've had 10 places to be all at the same time? All right, now, I don't know about you, but does that cause you any problems? It certainly causes us problems. I mean, you stop and go, okay, well, we got a baseball game, we got a soccer game, we got this going on in church. Well, we got, you know, I've got to be somewhere for chapel and yet somewhere to teach a class and, and all these things are all happening at the same instant in time well you know what I'm not that good I can't be everywhere at one time 
Now, I know it's frustrating to a lot of us who would like to be at more than one place at one time. But what the Bible teaches is God doesn't have a problem with that. God can be every place at one time. I don't understand it without getting into what the Bible says about it. And so basically that's what we're going to do. The Bible teaches that God is everywhere at the same time. And so what I want to do in, as we go through this is just look at what the Bible clearly teaches about this ability of God that obviously we don't have, but God has, to understand how God could be everywhere at one time, and better yet, to address the question of where is God? If I need to get a hold of Him, where do I find Him? And thank God that He's easier to find than the things that we put in our lost and found here at church. Amen? All right. So anyway, let's take a look at three, three essential ingre ingredients, if you want to call it that, that'll help us to define what it means that God is omnipresent, that God is everywhere at one time. Number one, this is what the Bible teaches, that God is in the universe, everywhere, present at the same time. God is in the universe, everywhere, present at the same time. Listen to Job chapter 22, verse 12. We read this. Is not God in the height of heaven and see the highest stars, how lofty they are? In the book of Job, there's a series of questions that goes on. And if you're familiar with the book, many things occur in the life of Job that God allows to happen for God's purposes. And so basically, if you could summarize everything in the book of Job, it would be classified under one question. Why? Why does God do what he does? Why did God do what he allowed in my life and in our situation? Why does God do the things that he does? And the book of Job attempts to answer those questions to, to, some, knowledge, to, to some level that we would be able to understand. And so as Job begins to ask questions of God, God, why do these things occur to me? Then he begins to get answers such as, well, don't you realize, is not God in the height of heavens? And look up at the stars and see how lofty they are. So the Bible teaches that, you know what, look how far away the stars are, and yet, is not God there? Interesting point. So as you go through this, probably one of the best examples of the omnipresence of God is found in Isaiah 57:15. We read these words. For this is what the high and the lofty one says. This is what God says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, he says this, I live in a high and holy place but also within him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You see, he says through the prophet Isaiah, God says, you know what, where, where am I? You're asking the question, where is God? And God says, you know what, I dwell in the high and lofty places, as he said to Job, look at the stars and how far away they are, and I'm there. But he also says, not only do I dwell there, but I also dwell in him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. One of the most incredible statements found in Scripture is in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, when the Apostle Paul asked the people at Corinth, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not understand that God, for those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that God places His presence, His Holy Spirit, within the life of every believer? He's saying, so not only does God dwell in the high and lofty places, and we look at the stars and see how far away they are, we realize that not only is God there, but the Bible clearly teaches that he is also living within the life of every believer. So he is in heaven, and he is within us at the same time. That's a great truth. It's really fascinating when you consider it. As we go through it, first, in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, we read this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go to heaven, the heavens, you're there. If I made my bed in the depths, you're there also. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. The question that's asked is, where can I go to flee from the presence of God? And the answer is simple. I can't go anywhere that you're not there. Several years ago, we had an opportunity. We were in Seattle on vacation with some friends, and uh, they took us out on a boat ride, which was a big boat, so they called it a yacht. And, and they took us to an island, to, to which they owned, these people, and they had a Christian camp that they had set up there. But w the interesting thing on this trip was there was a woman who was on the trip who was involved in the NASA programs and uh, space programs. Her husband, you would know who he is if I mentioned his name, but I won't. She began to explain in this three-hour three-hour tour. No, this, uh, <laughs> this, this, it was a three-hour. It just happened. It's, pop, some, it's scary, some things that pop into my head at, at different times. But, but we're, so anyway, we're, we're going out, and we had, you know, you're sitting on a boat. There's not a whole lot to do. Um, you know, they didn't have a pool. It was a big boat, but they didn't have a pool. So anyway, we're sitting, we're talking. And, uh, and she began to explain all the different things that went on in the space program, behind the closed doors, behind the scenes that people didn't see and you never would read about in the newspaper. And she said one of the most amazing things as they prayed about this mission to the moon and the first people, the men to walk on the moon, she said that one of the most incredible things that came out of all of this was that a couple of the men who went the first time were believers. And when they came back, and as they looked at earthrise instead of sunrise, and as, as they looked around at the universe that God made, and as they saw everything that was to be seen, and as they walked upon the face of the moon, they came back and they said this, that God's presence was felt even there. That's awesome. Where can I go to escape your presence? And someone that's been on the moon and I've never been there, and you wonder how far away it is and you wonder all these things, but I can go by the testimony of a man that was there, said, you know what, I was there and God was there too. That's wonderful. It's a wonderful assurance. Where can I run from God? You can't. Where can I flee from His presence? You can't. Where can I go on the face of the earth that He wouldn't be there? Nowhere. He's there. Scientists who went to Antarctica, and Antarctica is an interesting place if you're a scientist because they drop you off and they tell you, you know what, we can't pick you up for six more months. Period. Ain't no way you're getting out of here because it's closed in. There's no way to get there. And so they drop you off and say, this is, this is it. And I remember reading an account of one scientist who said, you know what, my greatest fear was that if I died here, even God couldn't find me. Interesting, huh? You know, we say things like God-forsaken places. The wonderful thing is that even in Antarctica, God would find you. And as you go through this, you begin to understand what a wonderful truth that is, that the Bible teaches that God is in the universe, everywhere, present at the same time. Now, I know that's what it teaches, but it doesn't make it any easier to understand it. So let's take a look at one other thing that the Bible also clearly teaches. The Bible teaches that the universe and all that it contains is in God. Now, there's a reason that it's worded this way, and I'll explain to you in a minute, but the universe and all that it contains is in God. When Paul was preaching to, quote, religious people in the city of Athens who didn't know God and was trying to identify who God was, which is basically what we've been doing through the series, is knowing God better, when he was preaching to them, he said this, in Acts 17, 27 and 28, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him, speaking of God, we live and move and have our being. 
as some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. In God, we live, we move, and we have our being. All that God has created, including us, is in God. All the planets, the stars, the universe, we are within the omnipresence of God. In Job 38, once again, addressing the questions that Job has, he says, you know what, it's kind of like, you ever get to the point where you ask God, it's like, God, what? You know, why are you doing the things that you're doing? And I've got to read things like this in the Bible to realize what a stupid question that really is. Now, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I have a tendency to question God. Why, God? Why, why are you doing this? Help me to understand. And, and Job was in that position. Why, why? And this is what God said. Now, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Well, surely you know. You know, he's saying, it's like, you know everything. I mean, because you could question me, and you're always asking me why, as if you had a better answer than the one that I have, or if you had a better plan than the one that I do. So surely you must know how I did everything. And it's kind of like, man, talk about smack you upside your head, put you right back into place. God's saying, you know what, where were you? I laid the foundation of the earth because, well, surely you must know. Chuck, surely you know. He says, who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? You know what I like God's, you know what God's question here? He says this. You know what? All right, tell me how the earth stays floating out in the middle of nothing. Can you tell me? Think about this. Everything that we know has to be set on something. You can't suspend something in the air without gravity pulling it to the ground. You can't just say, I'm going to put this right here and leave it there, although it would be a wonderful thing if you've ever seen our closet. It would be a nice thing if we could just like hang things and have, suspend them because we can't put them where they need to go. There's no more room to do that. So you just kind of hang, just like float. And God's saying, well, tell me, how is the earth just floating in the middle of nothing? How did I do that? Job, you must know. You're always asking me why I do the things that I do as if I don't know what I'm doing. So everything, the universe, all that it contains is in God. But there's a big difference between being in God and being separate from God, which is a, a, which is a critical point to understand. Because, see, God is separate from the universe in which he dwells. See, although everything that God made is in God... God is separate from everything that he made. And that's an important distinction to make because, see, pantheism teaches that God is in everything, that God is in this podium, that God is in a chair, that God is in a table, that God is in a tree, that God is in everything that, that he's created, that God is localized in these things. So as a result, you can't chop down a tree because you're somehow or another hurting God. And, and you can't do anything because God is in everything. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And if you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19 in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 19 will help us to understand that that is clearly not what's taught in the Bible. Psalm 99, 1 through 3, we read these words. He dwells between the cherubim, let the earth be moved. He is high above all the peoples. In 1 Kings 19, basically the background is this. Elijah is running away from Jezebel and he's hiding in a cave. He knows that they're going to try to kill him because of the things that he did. And he begins to ask God the same type of questions, the why questions that are asked of uh, the Job ask of God as well. In 1 Kings 19, look at verses 9 through 12, and God gives us a real clear insight as to what he's talking about as far as God is separate. Though he created everything, he's not in everything. 
Everything that's created is contained in God, but God is not in everything that he's made. 1 Kings 19, verse 9. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thy altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he was running, and he was hiding, because they were going to kill him. So God said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Okay, God's going to do a little show and tell here for Elijah. He was in a point where he was discouraged and he needed to see, like many of us, God, show me your presence. Where can I find you? If you're there, show me. Like Thomas, who said, Jesus, you know, hey, if, he, if he's raised from the dead, I'm not going to believe it till I see him. And Jesus appeared to him and he said, my Lord and my God. See, many of us are still like that. We need to see things. We need to see God's evidence. We need to see his presence. If he's really there, God, show me. And so what God did was he was going to show Elijah his presence. And look what he did. He says, go stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But, listen, but the Lord was not in the wind. You follow that? Okay, he goes on. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, there was a sound of a gentle blowing wind. You see what God is saying? He said, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you my power, but don't mistake the wind for me. Don't mistake an earthquake for me. Don't mistake a fire for me because I'm not in these things. I control these things. I make these things. And how foolish it is if you stop and think about this. All the different, quote, um, religions of the world that believe in polytheism or a multiplicity of gods who believe in the god of wind, the god of fire, the god of this, the god of that. God's saying, you know what? I made all these things and I control all those things. There's only one God, believe in me. There's only one God, give me all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. There's only one God, give me all your trust. See, I'm not in these things, I control these things, I make these things. I'm above all these things. In Acts 17, verses 24 and 25, we read this. The Lord, the God who made the world and everything in it, is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. You know, one of the things that we need to understand about where God is is that God is not confined in a local church. Now, understand what I'm saying here. The church from the standpoint of a building. There was many times in my life when I was growing up that I thought I had to drive the church, a church building, to talk to God. Because that's where God hung out. It's like that's where God was. He was in a church. It didn't matter what church, and if you didn't understand anything about who God was, then you just pick anyone because you just figured that's where God hung out. But what God is saying is, you can't confine me to a building. I'm not restricted here. The Bible says where two or more are present in my name, I'm gathered in your midst. The reason that we come together collectively at a local church building and so collectively the people of God can come together to worship God to praise him to be instructed to have fellowship with one another and leave here and go out and win people for Christ but he is not in this building 
He is here because he's in within the presence of believers who are here, and so God's presence is here. But when we leave, it's not like he stays behind and he's locked up here in the usher's closet. <laughs> and that's important to understand. See, because what these people were doing in Athens was they got these little temples and they were saying you had to go to this temple to worship this God because that's where this God lived. And you can't confine or control God. That's an important thing to understand. Now, as we go through this, you begin to ask, well, where is he? He's everywhere. What does that mean? It means a lot of wonderful things we'll talk about in a minute. But God is everywhere. But it also means this in Hebrews 4.13. Genesis 3, if you look at it, 8 and 9, we read this about Adam and Eve. When they sinned before God, what did they try to do? Hide from his presence. The first thing that they tried to do when they did what was wrong was hide from God. And God said, where are you? And they're like, we're hiding. No kidding. I know where you are. You're behind the bush. And I know why you're there. Why are you there? We're naked. Who told you? I don't know. I just felt it for the first time. I felt a draft. <laughs> Never felt one before. And so God said, I know where you are. You can't hide from me. Listen to Hebrews 4, 13. It says this, And there is no creature hidden from God's sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The beginning story of the pastor speaking to the little boys illustrates clearly what the Bible clearly teaches. And that is this truth. You cannot hide from God. You cannot hide from God the things that you try to hide from man. We don't know what you're like at home. We don't know what you're like at work. We don't know what you're like in relationships with other people. We don't know how you manipulate or what you do financially or whether you lie and cheat and steal. We don't know, sitting here looking at one another, unless you've done those things to us personally, we don't know what's going on in your life, and you don't even know what's going on in my life. But the reality and the truth of all of it is, is that God knows everything that's going on in my life. He knows everything that's going on in your life. And the truth is we need to teach that principle once again because that's the difference between right and wrong. It's not what you think you can get away with or what you think other people will catch you doing. It's whether it is right or wrong before God because one day you will give an account for everything that you've done. What a tremendous truth that is and how it can change the lives of people that are growing up. If adults would teach children once again in this generation that, you know what, it doesn't matter whether mom or dad catches you or not, we've got a God who's everywhere, it sees everything that you're doing, and it should cause you to do the right thing. And you've got to answer to Him. It doesn't matter whether the IRS catches you, it doesn't matter whether your customers catch you, it doesn't matter whether somebody at church sees you doing whatever, it doesn't matter if you're on vacation, it doesn't matter if you're home, it doesn't matter if you're on a plane or in a hotel or in a restaurant or a lobby or somewhere where you think you're private and away from everybody who can see anything that you're doing. The reality of it is, is God sees you. Where are you going to run from Him? You can't. See, as we learn more about God, we begin to learn more about what He demands of our life. And we begin to learn more about the games that we think we're playing with Him that we cannot play any longer. You can't play church with God. You can't play religion with God because not only is God everywhere, but He also knows everything. And we'll talk about that in another week or so. But He also knows what's going on in your heart. He knows whether you're close to Him or far from Him. He knows whether you know him or you don't know anything and you're just blowing smoke at the people around you because you want to make them feel better about what they believe because you don't want to insult them because you don't believe the same thing. 
So we play all these games, but it doesn't fool God. You see, as we begin to realize God sees everything, it should make us drop to our knees and ask God for forgiveness as we confess the things that we do wrong. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, if you know that God saw what you did yesterday, this morning, the day before, it should cause you to drop to your knees and ask for forgiveness. Whether any other person on the face of the earth will ever know. And thank God that he doesn't expose everything that goes on in every one of our lives. You think the world's pretty gross now. You ain't seen nothing like it would be if we knew what was going on in the lives of one another. But thank God for his forgiveness and thank God for his mercy. If he confess it, he'll forgive us and he'll cleanse us from it and he'll never bring it back up again. I'll tell you what, that's some good stuff. Now the question is, let me just go through a, a couple questions, a couple scenarios that, that I want you to think through. Because if you're like me, you're going to get a headache when you think about what we just talked about. Now, as I go through these things, I start to think, well, you know what? If God is everywhere at the same time, it presents some problems to me about who God is. For example, if God is everywhere, how can he be confined to one location such as heaven? Think about this. You know, we talk to people, where's God? He's in heaven. Okay, great. And that's where we're going to go, and that's where we're going to see him after we die. We're going to heaven. Well, if God's in heaven, then how's he here? If God's in heaven, then how's he everywhere? Like, if we go to heaven, is he going to be there, or is he going to be, you know, checking out Antarctica, just trying to reassure that scientist that's down there? You know, I'm sorry. You know, like, oh, God, put a little sign up. I'll be back in ten minutes. You know? <laughs> Not that he needs that, because he doesn't go by time, but it's just for our benefit when we get there, we'd have a headache trying to figure out where he is if he just said, I'll be back. And, and then we'd you know, think God's Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then we'd all have problems there. But anyway, if he's everywhere, how can he be in heaven? If God's everywhere, how can anyone flee from his presence? And if he's everywhere, how can he dwell in a physical body at the same time he's everywhere else? Interesting question. Let's go through them kind of quickly. If God's everywhere, how can he be confined to such a location as heaven? Listen to Psalm 11.4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his, his eyelids test the sons of men. Psalm 14.2, we read this. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. The Bible clearly teaches, where is God? He's in heaven. Well, if he's in heaven, how's he everywhere, every place else? How does he do that? you stop and think about it, the only thing that I can think of is that he's in heaven and he's every place else, but he's not everywhere as he is in heaven or when he's localized in one particular location, it's not the same. Does that make sense? All right, good. Glad it doesn't make any sense. But you stop and think about it. Now listen, now wait a minute. The Bible clearly teaches that God's in heaven. If he's in heaven, how can he be every place else? So when he's in heaven, that means that he isn't every place else, but we just learn that God is everywhere all at the same time. But the Bible also clearly teaches that he's in heaven. So we know that he's in heaven, and we also know he's everywhere else. But the reality of it is, can he be in different places at the same time and not manifest himself in the same way? Now, does that make more sense? For example, if he was in a pillar of, if he was in a cloud, as he was for the nation of Israel as they were going out of Egypt, he presented himself as a cloud by day, as fire by night. So he was in heaven, 
but he was also there with them in the appearance of a cloud. He's in heaven, but he was with them as appearance of fire. He's in heaven, but he's also every place else and manifests himself in different ways. Now, the problem is the Bible doesn't teach how he does it. All I can tell you is the Bible clearly teaches that's what he does. He's in heaven, and he's everywhere else. You know, how does he do that? See, the cool thing about being God is that he knows a lot more about how to do these things than we do. And it goes back to asking Job the question, well, God, how do you do that? That's a great one. How'd you do it? The guy's like, but he's God. So, see, he's not limited like we are because we're limited to we're in this finite body that says, I can't be two places at one time. Now, we realize that I can be here, and my presence can be in Atlanta if I'm talking to a friend on the telephone. In some way, I can be there too, but I'm not there the same way that I am here. Or if you're beamed by satellite somewhere, and they see you up on a screen, and you're somewhere localized in front of this group, but if they're televising this thing all over the world, then television helps us to understand that I can be in one place, but be all over the world at the same time, but this is where I am. So it's not hard to understand that God could be localized in one place, but yet be everywhere else at the same time. He just doesn't tell us how he does it. Which is fine with me, because i got enough problems just trying to figure out what I do know about what he's telling me. So, number two. Okay, let's ask this question. Well, if he's everywhere, how can anyone flee from his presence? Like we read about Jonah, right? What did Jonah do when God told him to go to Nineveh to preach to him? He ran from God, right? We talk to people all the time and says, you know what? Well, for a number of years, I wasn't walking with God. For a number of years, I was kind of doing my own thing. I was fleeing from the presence of God. Well, the question is, can you really flee from God? We already learned that you can't, that God is everywhere. Even though you and your mind weren't walking with him anymore, it wasn't like he didn't see where, what you were doing and where you were going. It was that you deliberately, consciously chose not to follow the direction that he wanted you to go. So when the Bible talks about somebody who's fleeing from God, they're not really fleeing from his presence as if, if I ran fast enough, I can get away from him. Because if you remember when Jonah was on the ship and he said, you know what, I know why this is all happening to you. We're going to sink and we're all going to die and it's all my fault because I'm running from God. And he said, throw me overboard. They said, great, good idea. Threw him overboard. And guess what? He still didn't get away from the presence of God. The Bible says that he was within the belly of a whale and God's presence was still there and he knew where he was. And he had that whale spit him up on the beach. You know, see, God, you can't run from his presence. Although we read in the Bible, people try to flee from the presence of God. Well, good luck, because you can't get to where he ain't. All right, number three, and here's, a, here's, a, here's a, the, the, probably the most difficult one of all. If God's everywhere, how can he dwell in a physical body at the same time he's everywhere else? And this has serious implications as to the person of Jesus Christ. If, as Jesus claims throughout the Bible, he is God, and the Bible clearly teaches that he is, if he is God, and he was present, walking among us, and we beheld the glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is God, if Jesus is God, and he walked on the face of the earth, and God the Father was in the throne of heaven, how could God be in the throne of heaven at the same time that Jesus was walking on the face of the earth? Interesting point. You remember when Jesus was baptized... We heard a voice from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The, vo the voice of the Father in heaven cried out the name of his Son in whom he's well pleased. 
Jesus was being baptized simultaneously as the voice from heaven was saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then the person of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came and descended upon Jesus. There we have the, the, the manifestation of three persons, yet one God. And the Bible clearly teaches that, God, that Jesus is God, and yet God is in heaven simultaneous to the time that Jesus is here on the face of the earth. It's not that hard to understand because if God could be in heaven and everywhere at the same time, it certainly isn't a problem for him to be in the form of a man walking upon the face of the earth. And this is what the Bible says. Colossians 1.19, For it pleased, it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. The fullness of God expresses what we understand about God, the totality of God's persons and attributes, that Jesus is God fully in human flesh. In Colossians 2.9, it says, For in Jesus dwells all the fullness, it says that Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And without, as you look at these things and you see what the Bible teaches, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up in glory, speaking of Jesus. So if you, you look at what the Bible teaches, God's omnipresence was localized in the person of Jesus Christ. At the same time, the presence of God fills the universe. And at the same time, everything that God makes made is contained in God. These aren't easy things to understand, but they're clearly taught in Scripture. And how do we know if we've come to a point in our life where the presence of God is felt personally? See, this is where all the application comes in. And let me just give you some things that, that I found to be true of my life and the people that I've talked to, and certainly I would imagine that some of you can relate to the same thing. Where is God? You see, if you know God and you've come into a relationship with him, there's a comfort of God's presence within every one of our lives. God's presence gives stability. This world is messed up. This world's changing on a regular basis. There are things happening all the time that we have no control over. And it's unsettling. And it's frightening. And we don't like change. People don't like change. We like things to stay the same because it's uncomfortable when we go through change. And yet, you read the newspaper, and you watch the news, and like last night, there's a, a van full of people. They're on their way to church, and someone runs a red light, and they broadside it, and, and several people in the van are killed. And just in a moment's time, everything changes drastically in the lives of all the people that are involved. We read about the earthquake in Japan and we look at 4,000 some people that are dead and more that are missing. And in a moment's time, in 45 seconds, everything changes completely. Not only there, but around the world as it affects people all over the place. This world is constantly changing. There's no stability in this world. But the Bible clearly teaches in, in Psalm 16:8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. I will not be shaken by the circumstances of life because He is always there and His presence is felt in the life of every believer. Although everything's falling apart around me, I still feel His presence and His stability. See, for those of us who have entered into a relationship with God and know Him personally, there is a simple truth that the Bible teaches that we can have assurance of the presence of God. Though the world around me is shaken and falling apart, and Psalm 46 says, though the, the oceans and the earthquakes and the world, all everything changes. There's one thing I'm assured of. 
And that's God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his stability sees me through it. You know, this whole thing, like, for example, this whole thing with the Rams is going on. It's been going on and going on. And just so that you, some of you have an insight into some of the things that are, that are happening. You've got coaching situations. This whole season was just utter turmoil from the standpoint of individuals that are involved. This coaching situation, they knew at the beginning of the year if they didn't win, they were going to be fired. And you know many of the guys that are there, you know their families, you know their kids, you know what's going on. You see the instability of all of that and, the, and that type of business that they're in. You see the constant, we're moving, we're not moving, you still don't know whether they're moving, the owners have to vote, and all these things have to take place for the move to really take place. You've got employees who work for a company that has never even sat down with one person yet and said, if we move, you're going to go with us. If you move, we're going to offer you a job. If you move, we'll help for a relocation. They, haven't, they don't know anything. How would you like to be in a situation where, and many of you have been there, in a situation where your business, you know that things are going to happen, but you don't know how it's going to affect you. Nobody's even sat down with you and said, this is how it's going to affect you, the bankruptcy in Orange County, if you work for the county. How's it going to affect me? You just know it's going to, but you don't know how. There's so much instability and uncertainty that's involved in all of it. And you know, the only thing, the only comfort in all of that is simply this. If you know God, and you have a relationship with God, then His presence will bring stability throughout all that uncertainty. And you know what? As hard as this for me to believe, God's presence is even in St. Louis. I don't know why. I don't understand it, but he's there. And so how do you, how do you give encouragement to people who are going through difficult times? Easy. Hey, you know what? God is your source of stability. The Lord is the one you can trust with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul, with all your strength. Trust in the Lord. Because if you trust in people, they'll let you down every time. If you trust in your job, your rug will be pulled out from under you because you're going to lose it someday. If you trust in your career, your education, your education that needs to stay up with what's new and improved education. See, everything you put your trust in will be pulled out from under you and the only thing you have left is the stability of God who is there and says, the Lord's presence, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms of God. That's some good stuff. Second thing is, the comfort of God's presence also eliminates fear. It eliminates the fear of dying. Probably the greatest fear that every human being has that I've ever met on the face of the earth, including myself, is the fear of dying. What's going to happen to me when I die? Where am I going? What's it all about? What's happening here? I talked to uh, Krista at a soccer game yesterday, her youngest daughter, and, and one of the, the girls that she plays with, her father, was told three years ago that he was going to die of cancer. He was given three months to live. And he said this, there is no greater fear than any human being could ever face than when a doctor sits down across from you at a table and says this, you are going to die. You have three months to live. You need to get your house in order. He said, Chuck, I couldn't even begin to explain to you what that felt like. He said, I just cried. There was nothing else I could do. I just cried. But he said this, the only assurance I had through all of it was my relationship with the Lord. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
See, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. And what it's saying is that God is personal. He's relational. And this man's relationship with God provided the stability to go through what he was going through. And it still gives him that stability. And he still may die. And he doesn't know from one day to the next whether it's in remission and it comes back again and he's going through this battle. He says, but Chuck, the only thing I tell you is God's presence gives me assurance. My relationship with the Lord is the only thing that can get me through it. The Lord is my shepherd. See, can you make the same claim? See, if the Lord is my shepherd, but he's not your shepherd, then there's nothing I can say when you're going through that type of situation that'll be of any comfort to you whatsoever. But see, if he's your shepherd, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The irony of all that conversation was, you know what? I told him, hey, you know what? The only difference between you and me is that you had some rough idea when you think you're going. I know I'm going. I don't know when. And see, we all like to believe that it's going to be later rather than sooner. Some of us are worried about we're getting old and we think we're going to go. Well, you know what? There's people sitting here who think, I'm young and i got a whole life ahead of me and you're going to get hit by a bus on the way out of here. See, and, and that's the irony of life, isn't it? The reality of the Word of God says that today is the day to call upon the Lord and whoever calls upon Him won't be disappointed. You better get your act together. You better get it together with God today. Because you don't know if you got it tomorrow. Jesus said, hey, you know what? Just deal with today because each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't be worrying about tomorrow because you may never see tomorrow. The question you've got to ask yourself is, have you come to that point in your life where you've got a relationship with the Lord? The Bible says only one way you can do it, and that's God's way. Jesus came. He lived a life for you, a perfect life. He died on the cross for you. He shed his blood for you because you're a sinner and you fall short of the glory of God. One thing you've done wrong in your life is enough to keep you out of heaven forever. But the Bible says that because Jesus died for you, that you can have a relationship with God. To anyone who believes on his name, to those who receive Christ, he gives the right to become children of God. Are you a child of God? Because if you're a child of God, the Spirit of God's living within you right now saying, you know what? Yes, you are. Because his Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. His Spirit lives within us, though his presence, God's presence, is everywhere in the universe. At the same time, he's in my life, reassuring me right at this moment that I know if I die today, absent from the body and present with the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, that we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We're confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Do you know if you die today that that's where you would be. God wants you to get that right. Also, God's presence offers us protection. Isaiah 43, 1 through 2, we read this, But now, says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor will the flames scorch you. The reality of God's presence in my life is, you know what? When I'm going through tough times, and we all do, and we're all going to, the reality of all of that is, is that God says, Chuck, don't worry about it. I'll protect you from it. See, you got people debate about pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, rapture. When's Jesus coming? Is he coming back before the tribulation? We're going to have to live through it. We're going to have to go through it. Is he going to take us and protect us from it? We're going to be removed from it. You know what? The, the, the thing that, that really, in my life, makes all the difference in the world is, I, I don't know what your view is on all that, but I'll tell you this. No matter what God's decision is, I know one thing is true for all of eternity. He'll protect us. So I need to know. His presence is there. 
and he protects us as we go through difficult times. He also encourages us in prayer. Think about this. Where is God? Have you ever prayed and wondered, where are you? Do you hear me? If you're way in heaven, do I have to shout? Can you hear me? See, God's presence assures me that, you know what, he hears my prayer. He hears my cry. He hears me right now. God's not so far away that he can't hear us. God's not like the picture of Father Time, the old man that can't hear, and he has to have a hearing aid or something. God can hear us, and that encourages me as I pray. It encourages me to have to drive someplace to get to the presence of God, that I can pray wherever I am at any moment in time, whether in a car, whether walking down the street, whether at a desk on a job, whether I'm on a playing field. No matter where I am, I've got the access to God, and there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus, and that I can pray any time that I went and boldly go before the throne of grace so that I can pray to God. And that encourages me. I can pray anytime, anywhere, any place about anything, and I know God will hear me. Feel God's distant? He's not. He's within all of our reach. He's knocking on the door of every one of our lives. All we've got to do is let him in. And the last thing, it also produces courage. One of the toughest things is, man, going through tough times in life, God says this, fear not. For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. What do you tell people that are going through all kinds of changes in their life? The only comfort that you can give them is simply this. Hey, you know what? The same comfort that God gave to Joshua is the same applies to us today. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will lift you and I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Jesus said, you know what? Go unto all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What a tremendous comfort that is. If you know God and you're in a right relationship with him through Jesus Christ, then God's presence is felt through uncertainty, through fearful times, through difficult times as we pray and it produces courage. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says this, and this is God's testimony. This is God's witness to us, his testimony, swearing to you right now, this is true. And this is God's testimony or witness, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. He says, these things I have written to you so that you will know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity again to be together, just to get to understand who you are, specifically to understand where you are. God, help us to understand that you are present everywhere in the universe and at the same time that you indwell every believer. God, we just thank you for that truth and we would just hope and pray that it affects the way that we live. Every conversation that we have, everything that we do, every place that we go, that somehow we would filter through the fact that you're with us. God, help us to understand that. And if we do, I know it will change the way that we live. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.